I know he just prayed, but we're going to pray again before we, we go into the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Father and our Lord, we, we humbly come before you, Lord, and we first just want to give you praise. We want to thank you uh, that you're faithful, that you're gracious, and that although uh, when we were sinners, you still died for us. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, your word uh, would come down from heaven and speak, for it's your words, Lord, that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit, and they're what we need to hear. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts. Um, may I decrease that your spirit increase, Lord. Bless Pastor Dave and his family as they're out. Uh, bless all those who are here and those who will hear the message later. And we do pray that today would be the day of salvation. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, amen, amen. So I'm Pastor Josh, one of the servant leaders here. I truly am blessed to be able to even be up here um, and just to be able to be used by the Lord. So I'm grateful. But you're going to need your Bible, all right? <laughs> so you don't have your Bibles, we have Bibles back there. If anyone needs them, raise your hand. It's our gift to you. If uh, you have one at home, it's our gift to you today, all right? <laughs> so open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, please. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, right? And this is John A, not John B. You guys know who John B is? John the baptizer, that guy. So this is John A, John the apostle, not John the baptizer. And we'll be in chapter 13. So if you guys want to open there, chapter 13. And so just a really quick, brief background, just to kind of catch us up on where we are and how we got to 13. So the Gospel of John, Gospel simply means good news. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can be said as Jesus's earthly uh, life and ministry all the way up until he ascended into heaven and then Acts continues that and then you get the epistles. <clears throat> but the Gospel of John can have three sections in it. First section would be Jesus being presented as the light. And in John, he says that I have come as light into the world and that whoever abides in me shall not be in darkness. And so chapters one through 12, Jesus presents himself in the public ministry as the light of the world. And sadly, it ends with many people rejecting the light. The reason why is because they love darkness rather than light. And so after 12, that was the end of Jesus's public ministry. And then the gospel writer, John, spends a lot of chapters on just basically one week of Jesus's life up until the cross. Second section would be Jesus as love. And see, the, the apostle John was known in his later years as the apostle of the love. He uses the word love more than 120 times in his gospel and the epistles alone more than any other writer in the New Testament. And that love is not the eros love, what can you do for me? It's not the philios love, you do for me, I do for you, but it's the agape love, what can I do for you? The love that is on the cross. And Jesus is the standard of love. He's the express image of the Father. He is the invisible God made visible. And if you want to see what God looks like, Jesus says, take a look at him. And so this portion of scripture is chapters 13 through 17, where it begins the upper room discourse. And Jesus talks about how he has loved his disciples. He has loved his own. And then he then gives them a new commandment. And that commandment is not to love one another as your neighbor, but he hiked it up a lot. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. And that's that sacrificial love, the selfless love that's on the cross. And then section three, the main 
subject is Jesus as the life, the life. And the theme of the gospel in chapter 20, it says that I have written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And the truth is, is that there is no life outside of Jesus. You can look under a rock. You can look at a lot of people who claim to have it and they all die. And the only one that died and rose again was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that I have life in myself as the father has life in him, his self. So first section is Jesus as the light, Jesus as the love, and then Jesus as the life. And so title today's message is, I have given you my example to consider. Oh, okay. I've given you my example as an opinion. I've given you my example to follow, to follow. And this wasn't planned. I, I'm, I was in John 12 last time, but if you were here Sunday, it was the same thing as Christ's example to follow. And now we're in John 13. It's, it's the same idea is that Jesus has given us an example to follow. And so the question would be for all of us, whose example are you following? And my hope and prayer is that our example and standard is going to be the Lord Jesus. So let's go into the text. Verse one. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now contextually, Jesus' public ministry is over. He would no longer go publicly because they would stone him. They would kill him. Darkness had had enough of the light and they were ready to just do away. And so Jesus' hour is right on the brink. And so his time is right about to come. And so that feast of Passover in the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites seven feasts and festivals to celebrate. And they were really all pointing to the Lord Jesus. And he fulfills them in many ways all throughout the New Testament. But that particular one of the uh, feast of Passover, you guys remember in Exodus, when they were in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years, that God delivered them out with the mighty hand. And the last plague was the angel of death that passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. The cross all day. Back in Exodus, second book of the Bible. It's there, very prevalent there. And so the feast of Passover was instituted when God exited them out with the mighty hand and told them, take the lamb, put the blood, spread it over there. So they're still celebrating this feast and it is a celebration of God's deliverance, his faithfulness, and his promises. And so this was about to happen. Now, what's significant about that is, what I love about these feasts is they all were at particular times of the year. So when people are like, well, you don't know when Jesus died, you don't know it. Well, I just follow the feast. I know what time, I know around what time of the year, because those feasts were, according to the calendar, at different times of the year. And so Jesus, it so happens, I don't know how you plan this, but he ends up being crucified as the Passover lamb on Passover. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. It's not Aesop Fables. But there's no way that the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world happens to die on Passover. You know the Jews didn't want that. So you can't make this stuff up. But again, we know that God 
has ordained these things to happen at a particular time for such a time as this. And so this is right before that feast of Passover. And it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now that phrase is, is used all throughout the gospel. Is my hour is not yet here. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet there. And so that phrase, if you guys remember, it always pointed to the time of the cross. The appointed time in which he was born and had come into the world to die for my sin and your sin and for the sins of the world. And so Jesus knew his hour was now finally here. Now, each and every one of us also have an hour. You know, the scripture says that it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. And if we're wise, Solomon says, teach us to number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. And so I kind of look at my life as every day is, you know what, today I can be standing before the Lord by the end of the day or before I wake up. I can go to sleep and wake up and stand right before him because my hour has come. But the question would be, how are you and I preparing for that hour? I prepare hopefully to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I can't live for 20 years down the line. I, I got to live for today. I got to live for right now. Am I ready for my appointed time? See, judgment is for those who reject the light, but it's salvation, celebration, and jubilation for those who accept the light. See, when you stand before God because of Jesus, it's not going to be condemnation, but it's going to be celebration. And that's why as a believer, we, have, we should have all the joy in the world. And so Jesus knows his hour is coming. That word depart, it means to pass from one world to another. Jesus stated that my kingdom is not of this world. Because if it was, my servants would fight for me. And those guys ran off. And so they're not here. They ran off. But so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to depart. And I know where I'm going. And I've loved them to the end. What I love about it is Jesus in John 20, 17, when he had resurrected and Mary saw him, she was trying to hug him. And he said, hey, you know, wait a minute, hands off. And this is what he told her in John 20, 17. I'm ascending to my father and your father. And I'm going to my God and your God. And I thought about that. And I looked back in the Old Testament at the patriarchs when they prayed, Abraham, he said, oh, Lord God, Jacob, oh, God, Moses, oh, Lord, Hannah, Lord of hosts, King David, oh, Lord God. Jesus comes on the scene, our father. What changed? Jesus eternally changes our relationship with God. He's no longer the high, far off God, but he's the near Abba father because of Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the cornerstone. And it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And so the text says, having loved his own to the end. Now, a better translation would be having loving them to the fullest extent to the uttermost, the everlasting love. And see, this is very powerful. See, Jesus has love for all people, yet his love for those in relationship with him is different. And so this is a question I often get asked. Well, Jesus, well Pastor Josh, doesn't Josh love the whole, Jesus love the whole world? Like all of them? Like why is there like, is there a different love between God's children and 
those who are in the world? Well, I would say it's the same as a special love someone has for their bride, their spouse. Look, I love you guys, but I love my wife. You know, it's a different love, right? <laughs> Let's just be real. <laughs> I love you guys too, right? But my wife, she gets a special kind of love for me, all right? And it's the same thing with the Lord is that there's this response to the love of God that non-believers don't respond to. So in a sense, they don't really accept the fullness of God's love because that's revealed in Christ. So they get his common grace, but they don't get his benevolence because that happens by being in a relationship with him and being born again. See, it's different because it has a response and it's been said that love answers love. And the Proverbs said that I love those who love me. And when he says that they were his own, they were chosen. Here's why. They were his own because he chose them. They were his own because he would soon purchase them. They were his own because his father gave them to him. They were his own because he gave himself to them. They were his own because he conquered them. And they were his own because they surrendered themselves to him. Are you chosen? Pastor Camper, are you a Calvinist? No, I'm not saying that. Here's what the Bible says, is that God did choose us. Well, what does it mean? How do I know if I'm chosen? You ready? Okay, hold your breath. You ready? How do you know if you're chosen? You ready? If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're chosen. So if you want to be chosen, get saved today, right? If you're watching and, you have, you, and you're not chosen, guess what? He offers salvation today, right now, and you're chosen. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, uh, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a door that basically says, whosoever. It's a door. It says, whosoever. And then when you open it, it's going to say chosen before the foundation of the earth. You see, one perspective is a view from heaven, and another perspective is a view from earth. And I don't argue with either one because scripture presents them both. So I'm okay with that. But he says, I've chosen them. I know them and they love me back. See, if we surrender our lives to the Lord, we indeed are chosen. And so Jesus, in this time, he, he knew his hour had come. He should depart from this world to the Father. He says he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. See, during the greatest suffering that Jesus was ever going to face on earth, he was able to have great confidence and peace because he knew where he was going. And see, as Christians, the Lord does not want us to be guessing. Today, I think I'm going to heaven, but you know what? I yelled at my wife, so I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven, but I yelled at my kids, so I don't know if I'm going. I'm not sure. God does not want us to be teeter-tottering. See, the Bible says that he's like, hope is an anchor to my soul. And so there's a great deal of peace that knowing that if I die today, I have no worries, no concerns. But if you're not saved and you don't know the Lord, the Bible says that you're in bondage to the fear of death all the days that you live. And Jesus presents a great confidence. I, I know I'm going to the Father. My hours come, greatest suffering ever, but I know where I'm going and I know where I came. And there's just a great peace that comes with that. See, saints, we too can have that peace in any circumstance. And I forgot who said it, but he said, what we have in the Lord, no 
person can take it. No enemy can take it. Satan can't snatch it from us. No circumstance can rob it from us. And that is the joy of the Lord. Because it's not predicated on any circumstance. It's not predicated on anything we go through in this world, but it's predicated on the precious, precious promises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, saints? All right, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, again, the setting is in the upper room. It's probably, it was definitely smaller than this. It might have been like as big as this section uh, upstairs in the upper room. And it's intimate and it's personal and it's closed off to outsiders. And it's a bunch of men. Probably didn't smell too good in there, right? <laughs> but supper now is actually the meaning is it's, it's in progress. And that's a, a better translation that the devil prompted Judas or influenced him to betray the Lord. Now, something to think about. You know, Judas is a very interesting character. Very interesting. But something to think about. Judas walked with Jesus. Talked with Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He was sent out and did the works, casting out demons. You guys remember that? He sent out the seven. They came back, Lord, the spirits are subject to us. They were rejoicing. Yeah, Judas was in that group. He very well looked like an apple from the apple tree. Yet, yet, his heart was still influenced by the devil. Saints, the reality is we're all one temptation away from betraying Jesus with a kiss. Just one. And I believe that's why Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, is that therefore he who thinks he stands, take heed lest you fall. This is this Judas. Also, this was fulfillment of scripture, that one of Jesus' close friends was going to betray him. It's been said that if we don't abide in prayer, we'll abide in temptation. So we need to take heed lest we fall. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So again, Jesus all-knowing. So he's the second person of the Trinity. He's all-knowing. He's all-benevolent. He's omnipresent. We, all those things, right? Some was limited by his incarnation, of course. But Jesus said in John 3.35 for you note-takers, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus' understanding is that the appointed time was going to happen, and it's so important that Jesus knew. And so I like to use that example of, you know, how many of you guys have watched movies over and over? Don't, don't lie. We're in the church house, okay? So when you watch a movie over and over, there's certain parts of the movie, you watch it, but you, 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 know, you know what's going to happen. You've seen it before. You already know. So some of those parts are like, Dad, that was dumb. Why'd you do that? But you know that the end is going to work out, right? And so it's kind of that same picture is that Jesus already knows, I'm, I am going to go to the cross, and I, I don't like that part of, of this. I'm not too fond of that part. However, I know what the end looks like, and it's going to be great jubilance at the end, like a, like a woman in childbirth that the labor pains, but then when the baby comes, the fruit, there's great rejoicing. And so in the text, it's really saying Jesus knowing, it keeps emphasizing that, that Jesus knew all things, that he was going to the Father, he was from the Father, 
and he was preparing to do something. In the text it says that he had come from God and was going to God. And then uh, verse 4 says this. And you guys know come from God, going to God. That's, he died, resurrected, and was, was going to ascend. That's, that's what that means in context. And then verse 4 says this. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, whoa, 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 feet, okay? We have to pause here for a moment. We have to come to the scenery here. We're in the upper room, mind you, about this small right here, up there, a bunch of guys. And so this is roughly in the evening, and so that means they had been walking around all day in sandals. They didn't have Nikes and Air Force Ones and Jordans then. So they're in sandals and the streets are not paved. It's dirt. And back then there was horse feces, sometimes human feces, and they would walk all through that stuff. And so when they came in, these feet are filthy, filthy. And I guarantee you they didn't smell too good and you already got a bunch of men that have been walking around all day, so you add the must factor, and then you have all these elements there. And so when I think about that, I think, one, that's, we don't even like feet that are clean. I mean, you know, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> Let alone feet that are dirty. Um, and so we have to put that, you know, and I think like there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any specials for a, a bogle, a manny and a petty in one. There was no combos there, so the feet were probably not well taken care of. And so I'm thinking about all these elements because like he's washing their feet. And so that's, when we think about that, that's like real, yeah, I don't think any of us in here are doing that. I, the servant of the year award wouldn't go to me. <laughs> this is just not, just, it's just not happening. But we're thinking about what that represents during a time like that. Worse than a boy's football locker room. You talk about an elephant in the room, maybe not physically, but might have smelled like one was there, if you think about it. But all these elements are present, and it says that he rose from supper. So during dinner, they're eating. And what I thought about, too, is that normally it was the lowest of the lowest servant that would wash their feet when they would go into someone's house. It was the one that was skillless. It was, it was the one that had no credentials. It was the lowest of the lowest. First observation I noticed, none of the disciples washing nobody's feet. Didn't even offer. None of them. So they sat there in the filth and they smelled it and it must have been normal for them, I guess. But none of them stepped up and said, wait a minute, our custom is wash the feet. We've been out on our feet all day. None of them did that. Not one of them. And so I think about John the Baptist, if you guys remember what he said, that he wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus, right? As, as, as to wash the feet. So he said, I, I I'm lower than the person who washes the feet. I'm not even worthy to unstrap the sandal to wash your feet. A sign of great humility. But none of the disciples offered. They didn't even think about it. And we see from uh, other gospels, it was right before then that they were arguing about who was the greatest. You guys remember that? Well, who's the greatest? Well, I, well no, you are. Well, I am, right? I'm gonna, right? And Jesus said, hold on. Let me give you the standard of greatness. It's not about how many people are under you and serving you, but in fact, it's the other way around. But how many people are you serving? 
Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. But look at Jesus. We see Jesus being Lord of all, being servant of all. And he prepared himself to serve by doing the lowest of deeds. The text said he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And maybe even pointing to a soon-to-be where his clothes were actually going to be stripped off of him, where he was going to be scourged and crucified. Not too many hours after this. Saints, this is Jesus being intentional and wholly given to the ones that he loved. Then he equipped himself with the right materials to serve. He got a towel. This was an extreme act of humility and servanthood. According to the Jewish laws and traditions regarding the relationship between a teacher and his disciples, a teacher had no right to demand or expect that his disciples would wash his feet. It was unthinkable then that the master would wash his disciples' feet. For you note takers, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, here it is, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Another cross reference, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. And so if you can imagine what his disciples are thinking at this point, one, dang, we, we didn't even think to wash his feet. Now he's going to wash our feet. I don't, oh man, they're probably shamed that our Lord and our King, he cannot be doing this to us. They witnessed all his miracles. They witnessed all the mighty works that Jesus did. And they all confessed that you are the Christ. You are the mighty God. You are the, in, in Greek, the Messiah, the Messiah. But yet now you're washing our feet. And the verse in five, it said, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel, which he was girded. And then verse six says, he came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Good old Peter, huh? See, the water was poured into the basin and Jesus then washed their feet and wiped them. And see, in the Old Testament, the priests would have to wash their hands and other washings before they would do the service of the temple. You know, one commentator wrote regarding the picture of service of Jesus that Jesus rose from supper, which is a place of rest and comfort. Jesus rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments taking off his covering. Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took a towel and girded himself, being ready for service. Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to work. 
Jesus poured out water into a basin ready to clean. But Jesus poured out his blood on the cross to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. Jesus sat down again after washing their feet. And now Jesus sat down at the right hand of God after cleansing us. There's many, many pictures of the cross that we can see in the simple text. But something to think about. I mean, not only is he dealing with feet, we talked about that. That's, I think I'll, I, don't, I won't ever get over that part. But what kind of men are they? Are these valiant men, men of valor that are so faithful and they're going to fight to the end? I can definitely do that for them. They're not at all. We find out later in the other gospels that they all abandoned him except John. We know Judas betrayed him and, G and Peter will deny him. Thomas questions him and the rest were kind of skeptics and afraid. Yet Jesus still washed their feet. As I'm saying this, I know some of you think of in your life of someone you know that will be an absolute struggle to serve. Because sometimes we calibrate serving on whether they're deserving or not. But that's not the way service works. And if you don't believe me, ask yourself, were you worthy of being saved? If you say yes, I'd have to question whether you even understand the gospel. Because the Bible makes it very clear there's none righteous, no, not one. And if you're a guest here, Jesus loves you, but you're not righteous. None of us are, right? And that's the first step of getting help from the gospel is admitting that. See, the first call of the gospel, one, is to lower ourselves, humble ourselves. As the example we see here, especially towards others who we know cannot help us back. If on an outline, remembering that we're a citizen of heaven, Jesus, remember that I know where I'm from. It's easy to serve if you know where you're going, if you know your place is settled. Lowering yourself to serve others. Guess what? Up here, there's nobody to serve. The people are serving down here. So if you're up here, you need to come down, right? We need to humble ourselves and be like Jesus and serve. Verse six says, then he came to Simon Peter and he said, you're washing my feet. Peter once again speaks first, then asks questions later. But on the other side too, you can imagine Peter is definitely baffled. I cannot have the Lord wash my feet. Just like John the Baptist says, I cannot baptize you. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus, again, he came to give us an example. But Peter just can't believe it. In what ways, some things to think about, in what ways are we willing to lower ourselves for our fellow brothers and sisters? Are we even eager to serve in ministries that aren't seen. You know, we get a lot, when we serve in ministry, we get a lot of, can I do worship? Everybody sees me. Can I do, hey, I, want, I, I can preach. I want to get in the pulpit. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It's a whole nother aspect of ministry. But a lot of times the, the ministries that are easy to fill are the ones that are easy to see. It's the ministries of setting up chairs, coming early, setting up audio and visual, praying for people. Those are kind of the ministries that struggle. 
Because a lot of people just want to do stuff where they're seen. But a true servant, those things need to be done too, don't get me wrong. But a true servant's going to serve in the areas where they're not seen at all. But where the Lord can use them, that they can be a servant to others. My prayer is that we would have so many servants here, we'll be like in the book of Exodus where we'd have to turn people away. Sorry, everything's full, right? Got to put you guys in rotation. In Exodus, they had to turn them away because they gave too much. They said, the people are giving too much. It's all, like, stop. My prayer, my prayer is that our hearts would be like that, is that every ministry would be so full. Like, we had to turn people away. I'm sorry. Come back in a year, six months, right? But we really have to ask our heart, what example are we following? Are we servants of all? Verse 7, and Jesus answered and said to them, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. So you can imagine they, they don't really understand what he's doing. I, I'm reading it. I wouldn't understand off the top what he's doing if I hadn't read the rest of the text. And you can imagine that they're kind of puzzled. But when he says that you will know after this, we reflect on John 14, 26, where he says, but when the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said unto you. This is a key reminder for us is that who understands everything that happens in their life? Not me at all. Is that when we come across those moments where we don't understand, that we would just ask for help from the Holy Spirit. And God actually wants us to do that. The Bible says for us not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That means your own opinion. That means leaning on your own understanding. But we are to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So in every area of our life, when we don't know, we don't understand, we're called to ask. You have not because you ask not. And so the disciples didn't understand then, but when the Holy Spirit came, they were going to understand fully. And if you go and you read the epistle of Peter, he got it. Holy Spirit. Suffering. We're in that now on Sundays. Peter got it. Holy Ghost showed up, illuminated all the things that Jesus had taught him. And we need to remember that too. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. Last point on point number one, serving those who won't or can't return the favor. We see this here again. None of these men were worthy of Jesus lowering himself. You see, because that wasn't the standard. See, love shows no partiality. It's not about being worthy of love and that, that's not the love of the cross. I love the saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what circumstances you've gone through. Because here's the truth about the cross at Calvary. You can't out the grace of God because where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. But you also can't outwork the cross of Calvary because Jesus said it is finished. And so you come to the cross, it's level. The left side, the right side, all the same, you pick a side. But it's level at the foot of the cross. And so we need to be able to serve people who can't return the favor, being served at all. Point number two, following the master's lead, verse eight. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter he rebuked Jesus again. Why? I don't get it. He said, Jesus, you're not doing it. 
Now think about what, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to command Jesus and tell him what you're not doing? This is not the first time. You guys remember back in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus said, you know what, I, 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 um, I'm going to do you a solid by just giving you a revelation and um, let you know some things that are going to happen later. And I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to be, and it's almost like Peter cut him off. No, you're not. You're not going to be. And he went from being, you know, hey, blessed are you. God has revealed this to you to get thee behind me, Satan, in probably a matter of minutes. Right? And so he rebuked Jesus then. He didn't get it. And he's doing it again because he's very temporal focused. What can I see? He says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. See what he's saying realistically, obviously Peter is saying, Jesus, no, you're too holy. I love, like you, I should be doing that, even though he didn't say it. I should be washing your feet. They, they failed, they missed that opportunity. I should be doing that, but you can't ever wash my feet because why? Washing the feet is reserved for the lowest of the lowest. This is not normal for a king to take off his robes and his riches and his crown and come serve the peasants. This is countercultural. What is this? And so it does not make sense to the disciples, especially Peter, that you're going to be washing my feet. But yet this is exactly the picture of the cross. It seems unfair. Well, Peter got it. Because later in his epistle, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Again, later, Peter got it. And so when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me, his response is, if you're not washed by me, you can't be in fellowship or communion with me. And when I think about this, I think about, the many uh, baptisms in scripture. If you guys see, you have a baptism of repentance, right? Then he says that you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then we see Peter and Paul talking about a baptism of suffering, which a lot of us, we don't know. We don't like that gospel. Give me the gospel without suffering. Then there's no gospel for you, right? Jesus is our example. He suffered greatly and left us that same example. But in the same sense, Jesus is actually doing like a mini baptism of the disciples, and it's a baptism of service. Is that, again, he's showing us that it doesn't matter what title or level or class you hold, is that we're called to serve because we are the hands, feet, and mouthpieces of the Lord. Greater things will you do because he goes to the Father. A lot of that is with service. John the Baptist. You shouldn't be baptizing me. I need to baptize you. So then in verse 9, here's what Peter says. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. So first he said, I don't want, I don't want any water, but now I want a shower. Make up your mind, Pete. Which one is it? Right? Is it not at all, but now you want the full thing? And so Peter's a man that goes from one extreme to the next, and I know some of us can identify with that, but let's calm down, Right? Let, let's relax. Let's keep our composure. And so first Peter says, not at all. Now he says, I want the full shower. And see, sometimes we can get caught up 
and the willingness to serve, but yet we're not able to receive service from others. It's been said this, that sometimes we show a servant's heart by accepting the service of others for us. If we only serve and we refuse to be served, it could be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. See, man's humility does not begin with the giving of service. It begins with the readiness to receive it. For there can be much pride and condescension in our giving of service because we can say, oh, well, I helped that person. Oh, well, it was because of me that they were able to have that. Now, not all of us think that, but it can come to that. That thought can come. And I'll be honest, it is hard to receive service from others, for me personally. Because I, I don't really want to wrestle with that reality that I, I may need the help. And it's tough. But I have to examine myself. As you guys, some of you guys know, recently, um, you know, I worked with Average U for 13 years. That was, like, that was my pride and joy. That was, that, was, that was pretty much a big portion of my life. I worked, as soon as I got out of college, I've been working in that field for 13 years. And in August, the Lord just ordained a way for me to be a campus pastor here at the school. So for about four months, I was actually doing both of them. And it was a lot. It was a lot of ministry, a lot of ministry. And out of nowhere, unprovoked, had no idea the place where I was working shut down. Just they're like, hey, we're, we're going to close down. Yeah. Oh, well. Right. And so I'd been, I'd been at that particular place for almost eight years. And we're, I was making good money enough to provide for my entire family without my wife working. And so just like that, the income was gone. No warning, no provocate, nothing at all. And so for the first time in a very long time, I was actually in need. And I didn't want to admit it. I really didn't. I didn't ask. I didn't, hey, I, I just presented the reality of what was going on. And the Lord moved on many people's hearts to minister in time, treasure, and talent. And I have to be honest with you guys, it was hard for me to accept it. It was hard. And I said no a few times. But the Lord continued to press these people upon it. I had to realize that God is not always going to show up in physical form and say, here I am, Josh. I got you. But he's going to use people in this room and people in the body of Christ to say, you know what? The Lord, these are the Lord's resources. And it's my joy to give this to you. It's my joy to spend this time with you. It's my joy to serve you. And that was hard. But I came to the reality that that's what, how God works and uses the body of Christ to minister to those who are in need. So I had to humble myself and allow the Lord to use others to bless. And the same, they were blessed as well. Well, it's the same thing here for Peter. He's got to allow Jesus to serve because he's setting the example. But praise God for people who are faithful to use their time, treasure, and talent to bless others. Amen? So verse 10 says this. So Jesus said unto him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So this is Jesus' response to, to Peter who didn't want anything to do with it at first. And then he wanted to take a shower, um, which he probably needed to, but not in that way, of course. And so Jesus says, you don't need to be fully washed. And so what he's talking about, which I believe he's pointing back to the, the initial cleansing of salvation, is that you're fully cleansed once, right? The Bible says that once and for all. 
um, that were cleansed, that Jesus offered one sacrifice and then sat down at the right hand of God. But then we see in scripture that we still ask for forgiveness of sins. First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so there's, in one sense, there's that initial cleansing, your whole body, everything, right? And then another sense, there's the continual sanctification in the believer. And so Peter's like, yo, save me all over again. Wash me all over again. And Jesus said, no, you don't, you don't need that. We just need to deal with your walk, hence the feet. We need to deal with the sanctification being more like me, washing of the dirty feet that's in your life. And so he says, you don't need that, but somebody does. And who do you think that is? Judas. Boy, boy, boy. So he basically is talking about Judas and he uses the word bathe, like I said, metaphorically. And in John 15, three, for you note takers, Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean by the word I have spoken to you. Because we know that the word of God, Ephesians says it, washing with the water of the word, that you're already clean. In the Old Testament, a little fun fact, Old Testament, the priest of God, when they were first consecrated, they were washed from head to foot. And so in a sense, they were baptized into the service of the sanctuary. If you guys look at Leviticus, they wore all these, these uh, clothing to go into the sanctuary and perform the service of the temple. And they had to be fully washed completely. And so in a sense, they were baptized into service. And that's kind of what we see here to, in this text. But each time they went in to offer sacrifice, he washed his feet and his hands in the, bra the, bra the bronze lever, a brazen laver lever. So it's the same picture there that we see here, is that it's the, you've already been washed and cleansed, and now you're the continual of the washing of the hands and feet as you walk with the Lord. Hence, hands and feet. That's what we use. It's a, it's a picture of our walk with the Lord. As I said earlier, we have a baptism of repentance, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire, a baptism of sufferings, and then the baptism of service. Sadly, many Christians only experience the baptism of repentance. A lot of them don't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of them aren't baptized in the fire. And there's content, you know, two sides of camp on what the actual baptism of fire really means. Many definitely don't sign up for the baptism of suffering, although the word says to rejoice in that. But my prayer is that we would experience them all because each of those presents a different level of our faith in which we grow more like our savior because Jesus went through them all and he showed us. Now, obviously he didn't need a baptism of repentance, but he was physically baptized as a example for us. In verse 10 and 11, Jesus makes it clear that Judas is not clean. Okay. Remember, walk with Jesus talk with Jesus, with the disciples, all those steps, okay? Today, what's that look like? I went to church, read my Bible, said my prayer. Uh, I wasn't mean to anybody, right? That doesn't make you saved. That doesn't make you born again. While all those are good things, that's not what constitutes salvation. And so we have to be careful and not become like a Judas and think that all those things are what I'm going to be able to stand on before God. I love the text in Romans 4, where it said that Abraham had something to boast about, but not before God. 
Because in the cross, there's no boasting. Paul said, God forbid, lest I boast in anything other than the cross. And so we, we have this lesson that we need to take heed to. We must be born again. There's no works. There's no acts. There's nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves from our sin. As I tell people, if there was, God would have waited for you to be born and you would have been a savior. And we know it wasn't because he was born 2,000 years before we were even born, so we didn't even have a chance, right? God already knew. Now, I've seen this many generations. There's nobody coming that's going to do it. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so Judas is not clean, but some things to think about. Do we take a daily inventory of sin to be cleansed in our walk with the Lord? The question, are your feet cleansed daily? That's why you need to be in fellowship. See, isolation is the Christian's enemy. And, and, and the Satan loves the saints when they isolate. He loves it because he can tap dance on your mind and tell you, yeah, you don't need to go to church. I mean, that, it doesn't save you, right? So you don't need to go to church. You're okay. So you miss one week. Then you're like, you know what? It was cool kicking on my couch, watching, watching online, live stream. I think I'm going to go the week after that. Next thing you know, four months, five months, a year, you haven't been to fellowship in a year. And that happens to a lot of people. And if that's you watching, come back church Sunday, right? We love you. God loves you. Come back. But fellowship's important. But how is our heart to serve and allow others to serve us? That convicted me. Over the head. Are we like Peter or Judas or like our Lord Jesus? Those are things that we have to ask ourselves. Something to think about, right? Verse, well, I think one of my pages. What verse are we on? You guys following? Follow? Oh, there you go. Sorry. No, we read verse 10 and 11, right? Yeah, amen. We're on 12. All right. My notes were there, but I wasn't, you know, wasn't sure. Make sure you guys paying attention. All right, verse 12. He says, so we had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done? This speaks of the finished work. Jesus sat down because the work was done, the service was finished, and the example was now set. Now, what I like is in the, in the Old Testament, you know, Jesus is the only one that was a king, a priest, and a prophet, all, all in one, only one. But in the Old Testament, the priests never sat down. Why? Work wasn't finished. Work was not finished. So they were constantly offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that they had the priest on calendar. It's this family's month to serve. It's that family's month to serve. Now it's this family's month to serve. And the work was never finished. So the idea here that Jesus actually sat down is pointing to the finished work that has been done. The example has been set. When Jesus ascended on high, the work was finished. There's nothing else left to do. And for whatever reason, we struggle a lot with, but I still need to do something else. And that's okay if you want to, but you just have to check the motive. Do I want to do something else so I can present something before God and say, look, I did. I saw John. I did a little bit more than John today, right? Are we using it to compare to our neighbor? I like to tell people, look, 
the standard is not our neighbor, but the Savior. And it's really easy to look around and say, oh, oh, you know, I think I'm better than that person, so I think I'm good. There's always someone doing more than you and less than you on both sides of the camp. But the standard has always been Jesus. You know, Paul says that God is appointed, going to judge the world by the man that God has appointed, and that's Jesus the Christ. But he asked him now, do you know what I have done to you? Do you know? See, Jesus washed the feet, and this was hard, but he washed the feet of Peter and Judas. One that was going to betray him, and one that was going to deny him, and the rest abandoned him. And he knew it. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we serve, do we kind of pick, well, you know, he's, he always says hi to me. That person talks to me. She brings the cakes and the food over there, back there. It's easy to serve her. I think that's, I'm going to choose them, right? But that's not the standard that was set here. The service is not about whether someone's worthy or not, but because Jesus first served us. That's the standard. And so he says, do you know what I have done to you? And then verse 13, he says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. And so earlier in the gospels, the disciples made many confessions that he is the Lord, that they believed in him. Now some doubted, but they all made a confession that he is God. He is the teacher. He is rabbi, rabboni. He is the Lord. They recognized that he had a higher authority. Even Nicodemus, we know you come from God because no man can do these things unless God be with him. And so he says, you call me teacher and you call me Lord and you say, well, for so I am. And then verse 14 says this, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. So Jesus affirms, because I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher, and I have washed your feet with no conditions. I didn't ask you to go take a shower first. I didn't ask you to clean them first. I didn't ask you to do all that. You have to do that when you go get a pedicure, though. You got to make sure your feet are clean. But for this, he didn't have any conditions. He didn't make them make a confession of love first. Do you love me? You love me? Sure. You sure? Okay, now wash your feet. He didn't ask for anything to be done first, but he literally set the example and he didn't even say anything. He acted it out because that's what love is. It's action. What does it profit to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but do nothing about it? See, love is not word, mere words. If it doesn't follow action, then it's not love. And so Jesus humbled himself and he says that you are, also ought to wash one another's feet. In many ways, the Lord's life was a lesson and sermon for his disciples to take heed to. He then explains that he's given them an example of service and humility. That word humility. Now, here's the bottom line. All of us struggle with pride. Now, I would say I struggle with it most because I know my own heart and I know my own thoughts. But if there's ever a time where you doubt and you think you're not prideful, then you're more prideful than you ever think. That makes sense? When you think you're good, you're not, right? 
So we always need to depend on the Lord, but he gives us an example of humility. And I forgot who said it, but somebody said it. But I mean, we all recycle each other's stuff. So humility can't be explained like this. I think it was C.S. Lewis or somebody. But anyway, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I would ask, less than who? And I would say less than Jesus and your neighbor. And if you have that mindset, you'll do well. Is that I'm, I'm less than all of them, so I'm going to serve all of them. Is that, guess what? No one is beneath me. It's, we struggle when we think we're above someone else. And so this is the mindset that Jesus was clothed in, and that should blow our minds away because at the end of the day, there wasn't any name higher than his name. That's so countercultural today. We look at our world today and they're all trying to gain a name. You guys remember what happened in Genesis when they tried that, right? Oh boy. That's why we're speaking different languages today. It's because they tried to make a name for themselves. So let's settle it here. There's no greater name. Why try? Makes it very clear in scripture that there's no name above the name of Jesus. And even he lowered himself and gave us this example to follow. Jesus tells his disciples that they should wash one another's feet. Now today, that's not the example we follow, although you can. Now I've seen some churches, and I had a brother in Christ who's a pastor in another state, and like every month they do like an annual, like a monthly foot washing, feet washing, like ceremony, just kind of to portray what we see here in scripture. Now that's fine, that's cool for him. They do that, amen. I'm not called to do that. One of you guys are, praise the Lord, right? Good stuff. But essentially, that's not what I believe we're called to do today. I think the idea here is that we're called to serve one another, especially when it gets dirty. In the messiness of our lives, when we have wayward children to pray and encourage one another, when our marriages are going sideways to uphold, encourage, and give godly counsel to one another. When we have rebellious family members, family that are in addiction and drugs and mental health, etc. The question is, saints, will you be available? Don don don. Will you be available? We say, Pastor Josh, I, I don't really know the Bible too well. I don't know what I'm going to tell them. Well, Pastor Josh, I don't I don't really have any gifts. I don't know what, how would I benefit them. Here's the answer to that. Be available. If you do so much that you're not available for anyone, it doesn't matter what you have to offer because it's not available. It's on back order, right? And so it's been said that your greatest ability is your availability. So first and foremost, be available. Even if it's to come help set up chairs, come early, and you say, I can commit to once a month. Praise God, see you once a month. Children's ministry, I can commit to once a month. I can be available once a month. But here's the truth and reality. If you're not available to do any service whatsoever, there's a problem. I can tell you right now, you don't have joy. Because we get joy from following the example of Jesus. And I love serving. It's a wonderful opportunity to be the hands and feet of our Savior. But I believe how we follow this example again is to serve one another, especially those in the household of God. Ephesians 5 says we can serve by the washing of the word. We can pray for one another. We can use our gifts to build up one another. 
Like Paul says, if all were eyes, where would be the hearing? Right? All you guys are nice. You're not all ears, not all noses. But we are members of one another and part of the body of Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, are we doing our share? Are you out like serving those who mistreat us, Judas and Peter and the rest of the apostles? Set an example of service and humility for others to follow. We have to ask if we never heard you speak and we just watched your life, what example would you leave? What would be your legacy? Would all call and say, you know what? I want to be a Christian because I saw Brad. Didn't hear him. I just watched him. Or would they say, yeah, you know, he didn't look much different from any of us. Right? Which one? But that's something that all of us have to take a personal inventory. Because the servants of the Lord find joy in serving the Lord. Does that make sense? Amen. Verse 15. We'll uh, almost end it. Jesus says, the reason I have given you an example so that you should do as I have done to you. See, many people think these are suggestions. You know, that's a good idea, Jesus. And, you know, I might consider it later. Um, I, I think some other day I might try that. I heard uh, Dalai Lama said something similar to that. I'm not sure if it's, you know. I think, I think Gandhi said something too. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm considering all these things. and I might put them into practice one day. They're not suggestions, right? And we shouldn't hesitate too. It's been said that delayed obedience is disobedience, Right? But again, the standard is Jesus, not people. I can't tell you guys how many times people come and say, well, yeah, I stopped going to that church because, you know, pastor didn't hug me or something. I don't know, right? He, he, he didn't pray for me. He prayed for the other person first. I should have been first, you know? Or, you know, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. Show me a place where there's not, right? <laughs> you go to the grocery store. You watch CNN. I mean, come on. I mean, let, I mean add it up, Right? The problem is, is that we look too much on people when we always need to look to the standard that we have been given, which is the Lord. We can't get caught up in responding and basing the Lord's commands off of how others respond. Constantly, when we as pastors do counseling, particularly marriage counseling, we get this. Oh, I'll do what God called me to do when they do what God called them to do. So you're just never going to obey the Lord then. I don't know anyone who does what God called them to do 100% of the time. Do you? I'm striving for it. I would love to do that, but I got this thing right here called flesh. And I struggle. And there's times where I fall short. And, it, and I'm upset. But at the end of the day, the standard cannot be me. It has to be the Lord. And we're called to obey the Lord unconditionally. And being married, the Bible says, husbands, love your wife and Christ love the church if she respects you. Some of us wish that was in there, but it's not. Wives, submit to your husband. Your submission is not a curse word, right? It's a beautiful word. Christ submitted to the Father. But it does not say, wives, submit to your husbands only if they're following the Lord and they're on fire or they're serving in a thousand ministries. It doesn't say that. But oftentimes, that's the standard. I will if they will. But that's not what Jesus did. He said, I will because they can't. And oftentimes he says, I will because they won't. And the question you have to ask is, are you the they won't? Let that sink in. The psalmist says in Psalm 1911, he says that in keeping the Lord's commands, there's great reward. The psalmist in 40, Psalm 40 says, I delight to do thy will, O God. 
And so the question for us is, are, is that us? Do we rejoice in that? See, Jesus, ready for this? And this, it's hard for me to swallow. He washed Peter's feet. He knew he was going to deny him. As I said before, he washed Judas's feet and he betrayed him with a kiss. See, back, now we don't do the holy kisses, but they did that back then. And he betrayed him with a kiss. And almost I feel like that was kind of prophesied because in Proverbs um, 27, it says, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And he deceived him with a kiss. And Jesus still served him. Saints, may we pray that the Lord Jesus would be our standard on how we love and serve. See, it's been said that there are too many of us who profess to be quite willing to trust Jesus Christ as the cleanser of our souls who are not nearly so willing to accept his example as a pattern for our lives. So I love the fact Jesus is washing feet. That's great. That's awesome. I'm just not going to do that in my life. But Jesus did, and that's cool. He should do it, and you guys should too, but I'm just not going to follow that because it's a suggestion. It's not a command, right? But we see clear in Scripture, he says, this is an example for you and a pattern for you. In verse 16 and 17, we'll end here. Most assuredly, I say unto you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus states that he is God and God the Father's servant. And many times he was sent. He says, I was sent from the Father and I'll be going back. And he says, the Father is greater than I. Now remember, we're not going to go into the whole Trinity because it's going to give you a headache and a stomach ache before we leave. So one God, one being revealed in three persons, co-equal, distinct, and they have different roles. And that's as much as I'm going to give you today. But Jesus said in his humanity, in his role as Savior in the incarnation, that the Father is greater than I. And that is in role. Okay, Pastor Dave is the senior pastor. He is greater than I. But he's no more nor less human than I am, right? But his role is greater. And so Jesus said that the Father's role is greater than I, and he sent me, and as he sent me, I'm sending you, and I am not higher than the one who sent me, and neither are you. So if I'm doing something, you should be doing it too. And then he says in verse 17 that if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this is where we come across being just a hearer of the word. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you guys are watching. Praise the Lord. God is good. I'm glad you guys read your Bibles. I'm glad you guys pray. But if you don't apply it to your life, it's like pouring water into a bucket with holes it's all going to seep out. And the scripture makes it very clear that you're, if you're just to be a doer of the word and not just to hear, because if you're just to hear, you're like someone who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what you look like. Now, some of us are probably happy we forget, but we need to be careful that we are not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. It's not enough just to hear. And I love what Jesus said. He said, hey, um, uh, I think it's like in, Math in Matthew or Luke 7, when he talks about building your house upon the rock. He says, hey, he who hears my words and does them, I will liken that person to the one who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came and all those came, that house stood firm because it was founded upon the rock because they were a doer of the word. See, saints, we can only do this by being filled with the Holy Spirit 
and allow the word of God to dominate our lives, that we will be light bearers, as Paul said, because it's God who is in us working his good pleasure. That word blessed there, it means happy. Guess what? You're happy when you do the will of God. You're happy. Everybody talking about happiness. Oh, I just want to be happy. I, just want, to, I want to do what makes me happy. Uh, follow the Lord. Real simple. Okay? Follow God. Follow Jesus. That will make you happy. And I said, the psalmist said that there's great reward in keeping them. Things to think about before we close up. Whose example are we following? Who are some people in our lives that are like Peter and Judas that we may struggle with following Jesus' example? Would others see me as a humble servant? And do I struggle receiving help from others? Do I enjoy following Jesus' example? And am I blessed? Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And we do thank you for the example that Jesus gave us as a humble servant. And Lord, we know we, I know me, uh, as I was convicted in the text and had to just be honest and wrestle with it, Lord, I do thank you that your word is true and that it's alive and that it's active and that it is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here today who has not been fully bathed, fully cleansed, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, I know of all, I'm personally grateful that there's not 10 steps, that there's not backflips, that there's not all types of different things that I have to do to be redeemed, but that I can just simply confess that I'm a sinner and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead and the scripture says that I will be saved, I will be born again and the Holy Spirit will be the evidence of that promise. And so Lord, I pray for anyone in here now and anyone who is watching, if they have not surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. And Lord, we just thank you that as we now we get ready to transition into worship, that your words would settle in our hearts and that we would sing praise songs to your throne room. And that in doing so, Lord, we will be transformed from the inside out. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray we'll be more like you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said...